Okay, so you have a new book out. Tell everyone about it. Yes, uh, the new book is called Let the Wild Grasses Grow. It's inspired by my grandma and grandpa Cordova, uh, Della Chavez and, and John Cordova, and it's kind of a look at what would happen to them if I if these two favorite people in my life lived, or, well, they did live during the 1920s, but what what, what could I envision, envision happen to them throughout that time? You can pick it up at toryhousepress.org or anywhere else that you buy your books, preferably, preferably independent uh, bookstores. Thanks. This is Case Johnson. This is a Literally Podcast. We're, we're broadcasting from Monarch One on Historic 25th Street in Ogden, Utah. Today, our guest is Rob Carney, and we're going to talk about two of his new books, most recently uh, released books, Accidental Gardens, which is a collection of flash nonfiction, and Call and Response, which is a collection of poetry. Rob Carney grew up in the Pacific Northwest, but has lived the last 23 years in Salt Lake City, Utah. He's the author of seven books of poems, most recently Facts and Figures, and the Book of Sharks, which was a finalist for the 2019 Washington State Book Award. In 2014, he received the Robinson Jeffers Tor House Foundation Award for Poetry. His work has appeared in Cave Wall, the American Journal of Poetry, and many others, as well as the Norton Anthology of Flash Fiction Forward. He's a professor of English at Utah Valley University and writes a regular feature called Old Roads, New Stories, Fourterrain.org. And of course, you know, we've had our long discussion about Tacoma, Washington. I'm a big fan. And so Rob is going to start with one of his flash essays. Yeah, I'll start with this from uh, Accidental Gardens. It's called uh, Seven Birds. And I, I'll just say up front, flash means short, all right? Um, but this this is actually even shorter in a way because what, what this is is seven different sort of episodes, each with its own subtitle. So, Seven Birds. Northeast of Salt Lake City. Higher up the Wasatch, just outside of Heber, you can see these fledgling eagles learning to fly. They take turns swooping, landing in the meadow, letting loose an eagle shriek or amen. And no, I can't do impressions, can't name each bone in their wings, but I can tell you for certain that the grassland below them has mice, and a few more years before it's gone, become infill, the suburbs covering the valley, the suburbs like a new sort of glacier made of plastic and cul-de-sac tar, the outskirts of Sydney. I'll admit it was 30 years ago, so by now things might have changed but the only McDonald's I remember is this one in the suburbs of Sydney, Australia. Their hamburgers didn't come with ketchup. You had to buy that extra, and they didn't call it ketchup. Oh, you mean sauce? Yeah, sure, tomato sauce. How much for that? The rest was the usual. The uniforms, the furniture, even the straws, despite the dateline and the upside-downness of the hemisphere and the alien patterns of the constellations, and we'd driven on the wrong side to get there, and I was the one with the accent, and the teenage guys called the teen girls birds. But McDonald's was the same. In our garden. I was out weeding the garden. My wife Jen was cleaning the garage. Hey, you might want to see this, I said. There are quail. The male was nearby, just a couple feet away, calling out and ignoring me. And the female was three plots behind me, ignoring him. She's got chicks, Jen said. They were chittering under the sunflowers, probably eating the seeds since there are lots. More and more each year, more than the birds can finish, so some take root, grow back. The first green action in April. Volunteers. 
That's what it's called when they do that. Plants that you don't have to plant. Look around, sunflowers everywhere, leaning over the fence between the daycare playground and the vacant lot, and jumping from front yards to medians, then on down the block. A takeover, sure, but with waving. And never that same kind of yellow as parking lot stripes. Purdy, Washington. I, too, would like a cabin there with a footpath down to the oyster-shell beach, where some days, looking for hermit crabs, I might see herons come gliding, great blue, their eight-foot wingspans taking fish or not from this narrow end of the inlet either way. What an arrangement of angles. Who can beat that? Next door to my house. My neighbor told me there are people who still eat doves. I don't know if I believe him. He's got a box in his tree for kestrels, though, so probably. 2017. There's that scene, remember, at the end of Jurassic Park where the ones not eaten are rescued? And Dr. Grant looks out the helicopter window, smiling at a flight line of pelicans, his hypothesis confirmed. Dinosaurs aren't extinct. They just escaped into adaptation. And so could we. At least I think so, because I'm not Scott Pruitt. I didn't drop in from Oklahoma to mismanage the Environmental Protection Agency. The kitchen counter where I'm writing this. It's almost time for another Thanksgiving, when the president will pardon a turkey, it's tradition. Another is saying what you're thankful for, so here goes. To the birds who make our neighborhoods their neighborhoods as well, who lend their songs and yahonks to the morning, and to seagulls, what good is a shoreline without you? The sky would be missing its dancers, and the wind a one-note orchestra. To blue jays yelling at people from fence posts, and roosters doing your farm strut, and the childhood robins of my Washington constant as the rain. To you hawks above our freeways who leave roadkill picking to magpies. You don't wait for an afterlife. You soar right now, seeing much farther than we do. To peacocks forever looking Mardi Gras, and to owls, you ministers of silence, and to you, the birds in my future, let me say thanks. And thanks yesterday, and thanks again tomorrow. May all of you be well. Thanks, Rob, for that reading about with seven seven birds. Um, with this one, I mean, we go we jump all over the place. I yeah, mean, we we touch your childhood home. We touch Sydney, where you visited. We touch your home, where you are now. We touch even more intimately. Um, the, the uh, you know. Within, within your garden, within your out, outdoor space. But we rely on these different birds as the beauty, the, the thing that ties us all together within these smaller smaller pieces. Right. Is this, with this, with this specific piece, and like you said, flash fiction is, is short, but this is a conglomeration or right. a, a group of flash fiction that works together as weaved together to do something with the birds. Where did this one, where did this one come from? Because you, you open the book, well, it's close to the beginning of the book. Um, right. Where does this one come from? And was, was it in Salt Lake or was it in Purdy? Or? Oh, no, I was writing this actually, like I, I said, this is nonfiction. So I said I was writing it at my kitchen counter mm-hmm. and I was uh, in Salt Lake City. Um, I think what happens is, uh, well, let me just back up to the, to the origin. 
the editor of Terrain.org, Simmons Button. Uh, I met him in Seattle uh, at the Associated Writing Program conference. I was there to do a reading, and he was hosting it, and it was in the the Yukon Gold uh, Museum down in Pioneer Square. I had won their poetry contest, and so I got to be one of the readers at their event. And then afterwards, uh, having gone to dinner, and he met my wife, Jen, and I met Andy Gottlieb, and... Uh, uh, Derek and some other terrain people, he wrote me and said, I want you to do a guest blog. And I said, uh, no. <laughs> and he said, no, I really want you to. And I said, but I don't know how to. I don't know what a blog is. And he says, well, don't worry about what to call it. Just write me something. And I did. I sent it to him. And while I was waiting to hear if he liked it, another thing came to mind. And I sent him that too. And he said, that's great. I like them both. So what should we call your series? <laughs> so it went from one, I want you to do a one-off to giving me a big assignment, but also the sort of freedom and the luxury to figure out what I want to do. Now, their, their constants at terrain.org are the environment mm -hmm. and place. And by place and environment, they mean built places, built environments, and, and natural ones. So that's where I kind of, those are my boundaries, really, and anything goes in between. So I was just thinking about well, what's the wildlife I encounter? And the truth is, is almost always going to be birds. Luckily, sometimes it's hawks. And it's wicked cool to see hawks come down, you know, in your yard, right? There was, you know, also one squirrel that was black rather than brown. And we have other squirrels all the time, too. That's more recent, right? But there's not a lot when you live in a city of wildlife. And you said Tacoma. Shoot, I remember, you must remember too how many crows there were. There are hardly any crows in Salt Lake City. But we did have ravens one summer ago. How weird is that? Very weird. Suddenly there are three ravens. And you know what I think it was? I think it was the windstorm. Hmm. It busted the hell out of every tree, you know, around. And those made snags, and the snags are where ravens like to hang out. And so, you, and you can tell they're bigger, their beak is shaped differently, and their caw is is different. More, you know. So, what kind of wildlife have I got? That, and you know, my domestic cats or my kids' cats. And so, when I'm thinking about what are the constants for me in the natural world, wherever I am, with that one exception of Sydney, Australia, but they did coincidentally refer to their girlfriends as birds. Mm -hmm. So it was me just putting together, um, where have I been? What is the constant? And the constant, though the birds might be different birds, that's what it is. Whether it's herons, whether it's seagulls, whether, whether it's ravens, whether it's hawks, whether it's, you know, every once in a while a robin, if you're lucky and it rained. It doesn't rain here enough for, for robins to show. But that's kind of where that came from. And it could have been just that I was thinking about what am I thankful for because it was the month of November. And at the time I thought, well, I'm glad there are birds. Mm -hmm. Long answer, sorry. But no, perfect answer. And, okay. And well, and I think with this too, which I saw just from my reading, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is there's a, such a timely timeliness and a timelessness with birds. I mean, you go all the way back to the dinosaurs with this, as they're kind of like ancient ancestors, and um, you know, no matter where you are, like you just said, they're they're there. Um, they're going to be different, but you recognize them. When, well, not everybody does. Not everybody recognizes the birds or the trees or whatever it might be. But I recognize, I, I saw that kind of the timely and very timeless aspect of in you like weaving birds throughout the... Well, they've been here longer than we have, like you say. I mean, what? 
several million years longer, and they're going to be here far longer, you know, than us. It's not like they need us for anything. My neighbor puts out birdseed, and I'm sure they're appreciative. But the truth is that that just creates its own kind of weird ecosystem. He puts out birdseed. Some birds come. That's what draws the hawks. It also is what will draw mice, and that, therefore, is a target zone for cats. He's got a little bird bath. And so my bird, my bird, my bird-loving cat sits at the base of this thing all the time. He'll go out there in the morning, and he'll just wait, right? Mm -hmm. And every once in a while, he'll jump up there, too, and walk around in a little circle and take drinks like a cat bird. But I like it. It doesn't take very much to have your own sense of, I don't know, different and wild instead of inside looking at a screen. Right. I, I find it really interesting that you brought up the storm and the ravens. Um, <laughs> I think that, honestly, for all of us, we'll remember that storm for many, many years to come. And as writers, I'm sure we'll chronicle it in one way times a thousand. Um, but that's really interesting about the ravens coming through because of it, because to us, it was so unique in the sense that it just, I mean, every Brandon lost a, m a massive tree, right? And yeah, it fell on my house. So oh my that, gosh. Yeah. That's that horrible. Yeah. yeah. But I, we saved the house. Yeah. Good. Yeah. They saved the house. And I mean, is that something like when, when you saw this piece coming together and we got crows by the way, and oh, good. In our neighborhood that. Very lucky. it was really very weird. lucky. Yeah. yeah. With this one, where, you know, and, and flash nonfiction to me, I've never published a flash nonfiction piece. So, I, you know, even though I've published a lot, most of my stuff is nonfiction. When you're putting together, I mean, did a lot of this come from the terrain? Every stuff? single oh, one of okay. them, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, there are things that I didn't include. Everything in here, I think, some radically, others a little bit was revised. It's not exactly as it was when it first went live on the, on the journal site. But... Mm -hmm. um, no, you know, originally what I had is I was just doing them, you know, and sending them. But Andy Gottlieb, uh, he said to me in an email, I hope you're putting these together in a book. And I'd already sort of thought about it, you know. I mean, it would be nice to somehow have a kind of vertical stack mm -hmm. instead of just this horizontal spread on, a, you know, somewhat, somewhat scheduled, but only somewhat scheduled timeline, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's good that there's an archive, and so that stuff stays there. But one day there won't be power, mm -hmm. right? And uh, but when the sun comes up, people can still hold a book in their hands and manually turn the pages, right. and with their eyeballs read. Do you see it as a different art now that it is in print, or oh. do they? Do you think they speak differently? Yeah, because now they're all collected. And I, I mean, I was deliberate about how I put it together. I gave things, you know, I arranged them into sections. I tried to give the sections different kind of thematic arcs. And then I could separate which, basically, there are 42 things in here. And it's not an even Stephen kind of count. But they're about place, the environment, politics, and poetics. And it made more sense to sort of like have the ones about poetics kind of grouped together in their own section. They spill over across sure. the middle into the late section that I'm calling raccoon verses. But yes, it's very different than this was what I was thinking this month, this is what I was thinking this month. Mm -hmm. um, because they aren't in chronological order. They're in the order that I thought made sense as a book. At least I hope so. I mean, I start by busting on this chump former legislature and ridiculing him hopefully hilariously yeah and then other things that i think are funnier at the beginning because 
people, I don't know, I mean, most people, when they start a book, tend to start at the beginning. And a lot of people like things that are funny. And if you can hook people at the beginning, they tend to continue. Mm -hmm. Whereas if I start by by <laughs> giving them the essay in which I say, Sestinas are a suck-ass right. first yeah, form, yeah. they might think, yep, and and that's the, that's then they don't read. Yeah, that's not the voice you want them to hook them with. But by the time you get there, right. they know your voice well enough to say, oh, yeah, yeah. And then you include a Sestina. Yeah. You know, so it's kind of, a, it's ironic in that way. They're just like, well, they are the worst, but here's something. And I'm yeah, gonna yeah. Give you one. Well, I Sestana, that's, that's the, oh, by the way, that's a form I invented. Mm -hmm. And if you want to know what it is, it's in the book along with the rules and the demo. And it turns out it's wicked awesome and much shorter than a Sestina without being nearly so stupidly repetitive. Uh -huh. Yeah. There are parts in the book, and this actually makes a lot more sense to me now when we're talking about it with your submissions to Terrain. Yeah. You know, because a lot of the, the pieces start with, well, you know my friend Jeff, you know? <laughs> sure. He said this to me, or my friend Mike down the road right. told me this. And that does that feel, did those intros feel, because it was originally online, that it's this initial, like, I'm just, I'm this guy out here in Utah, you know, talking about the world and I'm going to introduce it through Jeff. Right. Well, you, you speak about your friends. I don't know if this is memoir exactly. And if it is, it's memoir in a very piecemeal way. Mm -hmm. But I do think people tell stories about um, an interesting neighbor. And my, my neighbor is interesting. Mm -hmm. He's just not uh, interesting because he'll tell stories with total authority that might not be true. <laughs> and I even included that, you know, mm -hmm. when he one day says, yeah, you can eat them. Yeah. You know, about these Eurasian doves, we have these invasive species, we should eat these. And I'm like, I'm not eating doves. He <laughs> says, why not? They're delicious. Everybody eats them. And I thought, oh, but he knows more about birds than I do. So right. I might as well tip my hat uh, to him on, on, on ornithology kinds sure. of questions. He knows what they are, but you, don't, you just don't want to have dinner with him. Well, don't I don't know if I would eat doves. I, yeah. I, I might, but uh, they'd have to be in gumbo. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I thought that too is I think, I mean, was it with just with this first piece is they're very specific birds. And I think culturally we have certain attachments to different birds like doves or like hawks or like owls that you chose. Um, was that purposeful or what did that just come, did that come from? Well, this, this is, this is, these are the birds that are near me and I'm going to write about them. that, but also favorites, right? I'm not I talked about magpies, but briefly because mm -hmm. they're just the, the, the roadkill eaters. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. I'm not, not a fan. I like blue jays, blue jays. A lot of people don't because they think blue jays are mean mm -hmm. or for that matter, they don't like crows very often. And I think the crazy crows are the best. Mm -hmm. So I'd say it's, it's, personal preference more than anything else. Yeah. I mean, if anybody asked me um, what's my favorite bird, I would probably say hawk, right? Mm -hmm. Not eagle, hawk for me. And I like falcons too. And I like owls. But, you know, on another day, I might just blurt out robin because that was my imprint bird mm -hmm. growing up in western Washington. Yeah. Robins were everywhere. And our state bird should have been robins. It wasn't. For some reason, it was goldfinches, which I never saw mm -hmm. growing up there. But I do have them in my yard here now. Huh. Yeah, that's, I found that really intriguing in the sense that the, the birds that you did pick, the birds that you used to deliver what you're with each piece moving forward. And I mean, and I share this, I share this, I share my podcast. So I teach for creative nonfiction online and, uh -huh. and I always share my podcast with the advanced memoir students because a lot of times they come in and they think, 
well, these authors, they've got it all figured out, you know, and a lot of times, no. So a lot of times it's just, we're figuring out how as we go. And if you make those leaks fantastic, dude. Right. They would be, uh, well, that's fine. I like people to think, wow, it's yeah. a kind of magic, but they're only seeing the end result. I mean, if your students were trying to follow the map of my scribbles, mm-hmm. Because that's the truth. It always takes some doing to get there. And a lot of times you have false starts that you throw away or you don't know the direction, but you find it in the going. And that is one of the other reasons that I like this kind of form uh, that you could put together as collage, Mm -hmm. little pieces, and that there would be the kind of continuity established by one sort of motif or image. Do you have to have a huge architectural conception? No, you can write these moments, these lyric vignettes, these little narrative tidbits, and you don't have to follow through to the end of a huge story. Mm-hmm. And you don't, please, you don't have to announce, and here is the epiphany, right. and this is your moral. Right. right. Instead, you can just stitch them together, and then by the ending, a lot of times you find the ending, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. In mine, it's just simply to say, you know, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's move on to a poetry piece. Oh yeah, yeah. okay. This we'll is going to be this is from Colin Response. This is the opening poem, okay. and this too is in uh, it in sections, so they don't have subheadings. It's a poem called Poetic Justice, and it takes place in Salt Lake City, in uh, basically the Rose Park neighborhood, right after the election of Donald Trump in the year 2016. Mm-hmm. And what this poem is, and again, this I think I've invented it. I think this genre didn't exist before I invented it. And what I mean is this is a time-traveling revenge story in which the one who needs vengeance visited upon him shall be resurrected and experience it again and again and again. And so a time-traveling revenge story inspired by the 2016 election and hopefully funny. (laughs) All right, so... um, this is, called call, uh, this is called Poetic Justice from my book, Paul and Re- Call and Response. This happened on November 9th in Salt Lake City on the corner of 500 North and Morton Drive, a spot that used to be in Mexico, and before that, a tribal footpath, crossing from the mountains to a million migratory birds. Rewind from there, and you'll see mastodons, mastodons sensing that the air has changed. No spring on the way with its snowmelt grasses or violets coming like the earth's best secret. Violets they've been waiting all winter to eat. Walk it back more and it's the home of crabs, sideways stepping through tide pools. The corner of Fifth North and Morton on the inland sea. It helps to remember. Anyway, after the ballots were counted, a Somali girl walking to school, fifth grade, her head and hair covered as always, was happy about her teacher, or noticing the weather, or thinking that burnt toast smelled too familiar, like that Red Cross ambulance hit by a mortar. When the crossing guard holding his sign out said, Enjoy your free flight back to the jungle! I don't know what her backpack weighed. But carrying that moment around all day and in her memory forever probably felt like shouldering a broken moon. Though that's not the end of the story. Because a dire wolf, long extinct but not today, (laughs) 
Turn that white man into bloody screaming. <laughs> Throat gone first, then his liver, then part of a thigh. He resurrected. He had no memory of being eaten. He stood in the crosswalk, feeling accomplished like a star. Then the ghost of Shakespeare appeared. He was looking for a half-wit <laughs> to cast as Polonius. Step behind this curtain, he said. I need to see if you're stabbable. <laughs> Turned out he was. The crossing guard came back from the dead, this time facing a firing squad. He'd insulted the daughter of a hacienda owner and a nun planting corn at the orphanage and women from Syria, Somalia, from Bosnia, Cambodia, from Poland and Ireland and fleeing the Confederate South. He'd insulted the trees who'd heard him and the future for being in its history and even the ore taken out of a mountain, then heated and shaped into the shovelhead waiting nearby. When he stood up, lit by the morning, <laughs> the bison stampeding him <laughs> were beautiful, as if the mountains had decided to run downhill and out across the valley. His dying thought while lying there, a bird's nest of compound fractures, was where the hell did those <laughs> buffalo come from? But that was wrong. Buffalo are in Asia. His face was in the dirt. He sat up quickly and got to his feet. His clothes weren't even dusty. It was post-election Wednesday near Meadowlark Elementary, and all the kids from the neighborhood were headed his way. He didn't care much for the black girl's hijab, said enjoy your free flight back to the jungle, but instead of sidewalks or African forests, there was water, an inland sea. At the surface above him were silhouettes, kids' windmill arms and legs kicking. It would have been nice to do that too, but he couldn't swim. He resurrects again, unaware of drowning, and a flock of of ocean liners flies across the sky, sounding impossible, like Salvador Dali painting with thunder, a painting titled Migratory Birds. Somehow, the huge ships misjudge the distance, drop anchor and veer on their wings two miles before the lake, skid down atop the crossing guard, barnacled hulls and concrete and him in between. Something quiet flutters now in the shadow cast by one of them. It's a red and white fabric sign on a stick. It says, Stop. Thank you. Yeah, um, yeah that feels like, you know, that feels like a revenge, like a revenge piece. For, yeah, uh, for, you know, for a lot that came out right after that. And for four years. The, oh, the, the brazenness. To to, yeah, yeah, the they brazenness. Were on, they the, were on the news doing it again today. Uh, yeah, the brazenness that came with a voice out front saying, this is okay to do these things. Uh, yeah. And if it, like a, a revenge groundhog day on this man that yeah. I could see you. Yeah. And getting to know you a little bit more now, really enjoying thinking about the ways to torture this man as he came back alive. Yeah, combo and, squish keel hall. Yeah, yeah. Death. That that one was well, that, that took some thinking. Well, and I think that the personally for me, reading this or having you read this, 
You know, this is a man who attacks the most vulnerable oh, totally. person around. A young black woman, young black girl, girl. fifth grade, crossing crossing the street. There's nobody more vulnerable in our country, at least, that he could have attacked. Maybe no, I know. And, and you're a crossing see. guard who's there for one thing, and mm-hmm. that's to make sure the kids get to school safely. Right, right. But that should be, you know, spiritually, metaphysically, safely too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She didn't get run over crossing through the crosswalk, but she did, yeah. right? I mean, and this guy said it. it. This is true. So screw that guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, like you just see this little, this little person who's just right. trying to live a life, who's walking and not asking for anything from a grown man who in who has a who has a place of authority too yeah even as a crosswalk guy guy guard guy right guard, yeah. that's that's my booster shot talking um <laughs> even as a crosswalk guy that's authority that's somebody that used like you said she's looking for him for his protection and he's stripping it from her yeah it's just so uncalled for mm-hmm. so yeah Put him before a hacienda firing squad and the ghost of Shakespeare and uh, dire wolf. You got to bring those back from you know what, uh, what what the ice age at least, mm-hmm. right? And what's it going to do? It's going to eat that guy. Mm-hmm. Amen, right? I mean, if I was a dire wolf and I came back suddenly from the ice age and that guy was, I had a choice of eating him or anything else. Mm-hmm. I'd eat him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, that's a great poem. I Thank love that you. Poem. Um, and it, it really encompasses what a lot of us have felt for a really long time. And this brazenness from so many people to just hurt other people because the mouthpiece would do it yeah. for, for years. Well, we need to talk back sometimes, but the thing is to not talk back in such a base common denominator, idiotic way, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't take much for somebody, uh, uh, to go running around screaming, that's just like Hitler. Mm-hmm. But of course, it's nothing like Hitler, mm-hmm. you know? And every time they do, we run the risk that we forget or we condition the next people or the dumb people around us today to forget just exactly what Hitler right, did. Right. I mean, just because you're mad, that's mm-hmm. not Hitler, right? I mean, somebody needs to be in control of the language. And unfortunately, the cameras follow the obnoxious ones. So it'd be better, I guess, if people would put together language in a good way that mm-hmm. merits the camera's attention. So I hope that's what I did this time. And yeah, thanks. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. It's like, you know, by saying that, by saying it's like Hitler, we are softening what Hitler did oh. because we're on the media saying it's like Hitler, you know, yeah, it's, it's like, crazy. It's it's softening. They got it. Yeah. They got to stop taking their camera crews to mm-hmm. where these people are doing their bozo stuff. Yeah. There must be something else to show us. Yeah. There must be. I would love to, I would rather see the birds. Me too. I, mean, I would rather see the birds and Brandon would rather see Yellowstone because he lives his yeah. life. Osprey. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Osprey. There was one, Big fan. Clark Fork River, Montana, and it had this huge, cool osprey nest. And they had put on purpose on some of the river pilings the platforms up for those osprey. Just, you know, and all I'm doing is I'm doing a summer job delivering fire fireworks for you know to Kalispell and Whitefish and different towns. Yeah. But I really, even if I didn't need to take that particular route to get there, would find a way to go on this little highway. <laughs> Uh, because I wanted, I wanted to see that osprey actually lifting out of the river with salmon. You know, um, didn't happen, but I always hoped it would. Yeah. Well, we know where the uh, the spot is in Yellowstone where the <laughs> nest is, and in the spring you can watch 
feet. You can watch the osprey feed the chicks. Oh, that's it's, cool. Too. It's fascinating. Yeah. 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 And down the road, you can watch somebody walk into one of those big old hot geysers <laughs> they know? just they just walk right in they just walk right in you know and it shows and it shows the spectrum of our society I mean, yeah. brandon's finding this beautiful moment uh, with the osprey and there's uh, somebody who wants to walk in the blue pool mm. yeah. oh yeah you would hope the smell and the heat would keep them away but i did hear somebody, somebody just actually did, did that yeah, it was pretty recent wasn't it yeah and unfortunately i mean it happens almost every year this last year a dog and you shouldn't have a dog in the park at least that park uh, went into a hot tub and, and a lady went to rescue her dog and, and the dog died for sure. And the woman, uh, was badly, badly burned. And yeah. you're, if I read deaths of Yellowstone, if you find that book, you, you can read okay. deaths of Yellowstone. It's horrid because you don't die suddenly. You no, get you out of the hot pot and then your skin slowly melts off. Right. Oh, it just right. disappears. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I don't know. I mean, people forget that the natural world isn't just a playground. You know, mm-hmm. um, they forget this about the oceans, too. And um, I don't know why. You know, on, on the other hand, we're dealing because you've mentioned it a couple of times, coronavirus. And, if, you know, everybody wanted everybody to get back into school right now. And if you had said, hang on, are you really going to send the kids back to school when there are grizzlies in the building? Mm. What kind of monster idiot legislator would you have to be to stick them back into school on a live firing range? Uh, And, of course, they didn't. But it's not as if these coronavirus germs we're breathing aren't the same thing Mm -hmm. as, you know, deadly bears or bullets. It's just that they're invisible. So on the one hand, people, you know, are blithe about uh, the dangers out there, real ones, and then they ignore... You know the ones that are nearby and invisible because I I don't I don't understand people I really don't. Yeah, well it sounds like we came up with three new ways to torture this man this, the the cross guard. <laughs> ah, First, oh, yes, yes, yes we have we have the pools in Yellowstone. Yeah. Send we him have to Yellowstone. Send him in COVID, Send him no send him literally into a school with grizzly bears. Yeah, and then I mean um, yeah I just you're, you're absolutely right about the natural world and yeah I feel yeah. It works. I'd still rather have it be natural, and I'm in favor of rewilding. I mean, if we could bring back, you know, the North American cheetah, uh, doesn't bother me. Mm-hmm. How do I know that they used to be here? Because I have been told it by people who study this stuff and know, and that accounts for the pronghorn, right? They wouldn't have ever evolved the way they did if they didn't have to run from North American continental cheetahs. I guess we had camels here at one point, too. I think I could look out the window and not mind seeing camels walk by. I would like that. Yeah. Let's make it wild. Let's make it wild again. <laughs> yeah, this poem, I mean, it's a revenge poem. Um, and it's it, it feels a lot different than the bird poem or the bird essays before. Sure. Um, do you feel like, because this is the first, we talked earlier about, you know, opening up with with certain things, you know, and with the other, with the collection of essays, you want to open up with something and then lead into different essays along the way. With this one, we do start with this revenge poem. And what was your choice there? And is that, I mean, obviously that's the, that's the voice you want people to read when they open up this, this book, as if people read poetry straight through. I'm not sure. No, I don't know if they do either, but I kind of wish they would because that's the way I arranged the book. And then after that, I had things grouped in sections of nine, but in between the sections of nine, there are longer poems Mm -hmm. and the longer poems 
other than this one, uh, have a very different tone. And if you were to just look at the opening long poem versus the ending, concluding mm -hmm. long poem as bookends, one and then skip to the end, they have a different feel. They have a different voice. The last one is elegiac. Mm -hmm. It is in sections the same way. And it does traverse distances and some time, but... Um, its object is totally, completely different. Yeah. And how do you, how else do you know that you've been on a journey? And I actually have nine journeys, right? Mm -hmm. I have right. nine tests. I have uh, nine answers and nine conclusions, unless where you arrive is someplace completely different than where you began. Right. And with these two, um, and this is this is new to me because I'm not I'm not a poet at all. What I know the one came from the terrain, you know, from the terrain blog, but with this poetry book, I mean, what do you find more difficult when it comes to arranging a collection? I mean, I think the terrain one has a, has a different feel to it because of of where it sprouted, but is it difficult to? And I, and I think this might be a really really a pedestrian question, but is it difficult to grab these poems and say? These are the ones that are going to be included, and these are the ones, and this is the order in which. Well, in this case, it wasn't so much that I I knew that it was going. I whittled it down slightly, right? Originally, I thought, well, I should have twelve per, or you know, because that's not ten, and ten is too much, like the commandments or too square. Mm -hmm. uh, usually, I work in groups of seven. I love groups of seven. This time I thought nine, like, you know, nine planets, though my kid, if he hears this, will <laughs> tell me. He'll correct you. <laughs> yes. He's even got a, a page up on the computer screen at home proving that Pluto isn't a planet. Mm -hmm. And and I said, but to me it is. It is. We grew up um, with that planet. Right. Nine innings in, uh, you know, in a baseball game, nine planets in the solar system, mm -hmm. nine holes on a golf course, nine. It just, I liked nine this time. So, it wasn't the whittling down and choosing because it really didn't have very much. But in this case, and this is the rare book for me, this is the eighth one, and this one is very different than the others. This actually started as an exercise. I saw uh, um, I saw poems in Icelandic. <laughs> and before I looked to see what the translations were in English, I decided to translate them myself using that word very loosely. And this was a suggestion made to me years ago by a friend of mine named Rick McDonald. So he gets the credit for this idea. And it was really just sort of a writing exercise. But I liked what happened. And then I liked what happened again. And so then I got this Icelandic poet, Magnus Sigurdsson's book. Mm -hmm. And I kept doing the same thing, covering up at all times the actual English translations that had been worked out very, very well by somebody named Meg Maddich. Mm -hmm. Um I'm probably mispronouncing both of their names. They have the coolest names, though. But <laughs> I wanted to try and translate them, meaning that there was something about the Icelandic words that looked familiar enough, right? So I would see an Icelandic word or phrase, or they would call it kenning if we were in uh, old English class, right, where it's these kind of word compounds. Mm -hmm. And I would try to find an approximate, what I thought would be an English word that goes with them, mm -hmm. right? And so... Um, since I'm doing that anyway, and since I had the titles calling out one voice and the poems responding to that call, I got the idea, call and response for the whole thing and just went with it. Mm. So for me, that was different because I had never done this before. And all of the short poems in this book are me sort of like sparked to make something by looking at this confounding, interesting mm. Icelandic language on the page and trying to guesstimate what, what, what does that sound like? What might yeah, that mean? Right. But just so, using 
almost cognates to say, well, yeah, or, or made up cognates. Well, and, yeah. yeah, and it's I, I can't say that this is going to work for everybody, but it right, worked yeah. for me yeah. in this one instance, and I think the results are pretty cool, especially because that meant I could never choose a subject and then just say and here's what i will tell the reader yeah. what to think and right. feel about the subject because i had no idea because i was right. completely in the dark responding to this you know yeah. sort of zany problem and it was cool because now i'm writing brain blind and so everything is a new way you got to find after a time i think some sort of thing to to do that's different. It. Yeah. Every one of my books has something similar, but every one of my books is different. And part of it is because I don't want to repeat myself. Repeating myself seems like it's a lot of work just to repeat myself. Yeah. Why would I do that? Right. Right. And you repeat voice and to try to stay in just that similar voice right. all the time. Um, this is Case Johnson. This is a literally podcast today. We're talking with Rob Carney about his new two new books and a whole bunch more how to torture people on the street. Um, <laughs> and which I really enjoy. Um, <laughs> Rob's, I did it literarily, not literally. Yeah, well, you know, you know. Yeah, yeah. This guy, I don't know. Did Rob you know. read at the uh, Salt Lake at the Arts Fest? Arts Festival? No, uh, having in other years, but okay. not. Recently. Yeah, okay. yeah. Well, when we had actually talked about this podcast, probably a, right before COVID. Yes, you know, and, and I, then then you know, COVID shut happened. down the world, yep. and so we stopped for. Oh, we stopped for a solid nine months, I think, yeah. and um. And you can see it on the, you can see it. It's like date, date, date. There's a yeah, gap, and right. But and Rob's gonna finish the podcast with us tonight with one more, uh, one more piece. Is, is it going to be a poem? Is or, or is no? It going from to be uh, from fiction? accidental gardens again. I, I think this kind of comes full circle. Maybe maybe there's a logic for what I'm choosing here. But also, just in case you ever sign these things out with some music at the end oh we can do that yeah. all right because i that's why i'm picking okay, it. okay all right yeah. all right because i i'm imagining it okay into the future i mean it'll be added in post but yeah, uh, yeah okay <laughs> and, and this one is called down here on the cold cold ground and i'm also picking this because um uh it mentions utah and in specific it mentions utah valley university and in specific it mentions one guy named elijah who'd been a former student of mine in the honors program and it's, again, it goes back to this idea of taking, uh, you know, literature as an opportunity to talk back to things that you think are wrong, mm -hmm. that need to be called out, that need to be, you know, redressed. And it goes like this. With the new year not so long ago, and in the spirit of resolutions, I plan to spend a minute each morning hating the guts of Vlad Sitnikov. He's the project leader of this startup called Start Rocket, and what he wants to do by 2020 is steal the night for himself and sell it for ad space. This is true. A student at Utah Valley University named Elijah Williams sent me a note with a link to an article in something called Futurism. When I read it, I figured it was satire like the onion. Either that or a hoax. Not according to media bias fact check, though. I checked. Futurism is legit. So that means Vlad Sitnikov is real and his words and rationalizations for sending up cube satellites to glow logos at all of us from space are real, too. There's even a little Vimeo to give us the idea. A logo in the way of the Aurora Borealis. Another floating over Paris, the city of lights, for God's sake, and that crappy KFC lettering in front of the stars above the Utah desert over places like Capitol Reef that have been designated international dark sky parks. Anyway, Vlad Sitnikov, 
you should hate him too. About why he ought to get away with this, and with charging whichever corporations, whatever gobs they'll pay, he said, we are ruled by brands and events. He said, the economy is the bloodstream of society. Entertainment and advertising are at its heart. All of which is wrong. I don't just mean unethical and empty. I mean incorrect. People are the heart of society. We might put up with ads or become numb to them or get influenced or not, but if ads are the heart of society, then no amount of Peloton sweat and Geico harassment and Arby's creepiness and Verizon flunkies can ever defibrillate society back to life. Corpsed is all that is. Corpsed. I'm borrowing the expression from Beckett's Endgame, a play about nihilism so brilliantly put together that you can't help feeling more alive somehow affirmed because there are people so good at making things. Existential plays, books, dinners, lesson plans, fast break alley-oops off the dribble, music, I'm looking at you, Tom Waits, chess moves, well-timed funny remarks, people so good at making things that you're glad you're alive just to notice them. And people are the blood system, too. The economy could be anything. Goats, rum, seashells, and has been. So, so the hell what? I'd rather have transactions of kindness. I'd rather bank on ethics, education, creativity. I'll value the purring of cats and the possibility of seeing a mountain lion and the way it smells in summer after it rains. Almost new, but also dusty. I'll take all of those plus memories and the taste of just-picked peaches. They seem a lot more like lifeblood, at least to me. I mean, if the Renaissance were just a period of mercantile capitalism without literacy, cathedrals, and art, then who would care? As for being ruled by brands and events, I don't know what Sitnikov's talking about. Although, admittedly, reading This Startup Wants to Launch Giant Glowing Ads into the Night Sky has kept me busy writing this for hours. I guess you could say getting Elijah's email was an event. But here's the bigger story. It's been a few semesters since Elijah took my class an honors course called Modern Legacies. Our focus was futuristic fiction, paranoia, or prophecy. As part of it, I asked students to bring in or email articles that seemed relevant to the ideas and warnings and works by Bradbury, Orwell, Wells, and Huxley, etc. Things they found that were interesting enough to share with me and with each other, disturbing things or heartening things either way. The point was to connect our present time to either one, dystopias, or two, better alternatives with less pollution, less economic haves versus have-nots, smarter food and energy production, smarter conservation and transportation, less TNA-driven shallowness, more wildness and wild animals, less veering toward demagogues and oligarchies and all of them did and some like Elijah have kept on doing it not because they're ruled but because they're interested Sitnikov might call that the UVU brand but not me to me the language of business is like stepping in gum 
Not that there aren't brands I like. I do. I like Haagen-Dazs. I buy community coffee. I get all my shoes from Fluvogs. If somebody asked, you want a Foster's? I'd say yes and drink that beer. Maybe there'd be a stereo, too. And a stack of CDs to look through. Maybe Camper Van Beethoven's Key Lime Pie. And then Tom Waits singing Cold, Cold Ground. Mm. Excellent. Thank you so much Thank for you. coming today. Yeah. Thanks very much for having me. I just want to go on record and say I'm for a rum economy, uh, just in case. Rum yeah. and seashell. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and campers, key lime pie is one of my favorite. Oh, so good. All time. Absolutely. But thanks again, Rob, for Thank coming you. and joining us. This is Case Johnson's Literally Podcast, and Brand's going to end with some tunes over this, right? Here we go.